Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing, where we bring on guests and we talk about this beautiful city we call Long Beach. And now, here's your host, motivational coach, Paul Fortune. Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and like us on Facebook on It's a Long Beach Thing. We have a great guest for you today. We have Ryan Cora. Ryan, how are you today? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Paul. No problem. Um, when I when I established this podcast, you're one of the people that I thought of that I wanted you to have be on this podcast. So I thank you for your time that you're you know, that I'm able to talk to you today. Yeah, well, thanks for doing it. And uh, always like talking to people that care about their city and their community. And I know you're uh, you're doing that. And so it's glad, I'm happy to be on. Great. Well, let's dive in. What is your association with this great city of Long Beach? Yeah, you know, my family moved from uh, Illinois in 1947 to the area. We started our first business in Long Beach in 1969 at the traffic circle is the galley sandwich shop. So many people still remember it. And um, and so uh, our family roots are in the city, um, you know, in business and in caring about it. Uh, my dad uh, always in Long Beach showed me, you know, that that to, to have a business in Long Beach also meant giving back to your city. And so a ton of different char- charitable causes and organizations, the Optimist Club, and what he's been able to do with ChildNet, and uh, you know, all I could go on, boys and girls, we could go on and on. There's just so many great causes in Long Beach, and um, and so you know, I just really kept doing what I saw from my parents do for the city. So I I noticed that uh, when you were young, you you got into the family business and at that that time you thought well i'll just do it for a little bit and then i'll do something else but then you really fell in love with it so go into that a little bit yeah you know um a family business is always challenged because you're dealing with family dynamics right and um most people that grow up when their parents are small business owners you you probably look at what they do and it, you go it looks too hard it looks like too much i'm just gonna go your own path but you also have this connection to it because you know what it's meant to your family. And so you, maybe you call it this love hate. Well, uh, I, I got the chance to go to work with my dad um, in my twenties, really wanted to help make his company better. And um, I also never wanted to feel that I was given something. So I said, you know, I'll buy it. And I was able to do that. And um, you know, then you always want to make something better than when you get it and you, you know, you begin to build on. So um I'm a fourth generation uh, small business owner in in my family, you know, and that's, you know, that's been pretty cool, but that's how I got into it. You know, Um, I I really was something that came from wanting to help to make it better. That that was the intent. So did you transition the business? What was the business like when you were in your twenties? Because I think it was, it was a, it was a food and beverage. So, uh, so my dad, uh, what it is a journeyman butcher and his dad and his dad. And so food service was their primary business. So uh, at, at the time I came into the business, there was 14 restaurants in the Long Beach surrounding areas, like the Grand in Long Beach, 
uh, El Dorado Park Golf Course. We did all the food service at the Long Beach Airport. We the, the business consisted of those things, mm-hmm. and um, and in two thousand and seven, I bought a party rental company called Anza Party Rentals, that was in Torrance, California. In two thousand eight, I bought Bixby Knowles Party Rentals, which was a Long Beach based party rental company, and um, and then transitioned the food part of the business back to my family. I stayed more on the event side, tenting and furniture and building um, large music festivals and sporting events like the Long Beach Grand Prix and things like that. Um, and so that was that was the division. So you separated yourself from from your family business around that around that time, 0708. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's crazy to me because 0708, if if my memory serves me correctly, wasn't that great in the economy. And you were buying you were buying businesses around that time. Well, you know, it wasn't uh, a good time. Actually, when I bought Anza the next day, it was probably worth 20% of what it was worth. Um, and you have to, you know, you go through those different things. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a wild time from 07 to 12. Those were really, those were really tough years. Um, and they really, you know, they make you, I, I think we're about ready to go into it right now, you know, Um People would think that the pandemic was the worst time, but for business, a lot of people made a lot of money during the pandemic, but I think we're going to enter a little bit of a rough time. But, you know, what I feel about that, Paul, is if you really love what you do, you just figure out rough times, right? Like if you love it and you believe in it and you have a goal, in some ways, rough times allows you to get ahead a little bit more uh, because you begin to separate, separate the people that really aren't. Um, passionate and driven about what they're trying to accomplish. Well, going to your mantra, I, I see it's behind you too. And I read about it is don't be boring. What is that? Where did that come from? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people think uh, don't be boring stems from, you know, uh, just be exciting, be fun, you know? And, um, and I, it, it, if you look at the, the opposite of boring, it's actually purposeful, meaningful, thoughtful, fulfilling. It's, it's of substance. And so it's it, it kind of my mantra is be, be anything, but just don't be empty. Don't be purposeless. Don't just be stagnant. Uh, don't be boring. And um, I don't, yeah, I would say that came along in probably 09, uh, right in there. And I kind of just said it in a meeting, uh, you know, and it stuck and became kind of a you know, just something that we say around here. And it's a good way to, you know, you kind of quickly evaluate yourself by it. I can evaluate it in my day as, you know, am I intentional? A lot of times when people think of parties or events or things like that, they think of doing something that, um, you know, is is just outlandish or fun. It's And really, I don't, I think, I think events have the chance to really change someone's life. And, and you can change someone's life by, by being purposeful and meaningful and thoughtful. Yeah. Talk about that learning curve, because I know that you're working with your family business and they were doing mainly food. And now you're doing events where you're 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 getting furniture, you're getting tents, you're getting the whole bit. There had to have been a learning curve there on 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 that. And were you learning on the fly? How'd that go? Yeah, I think most business owners will tell you that they probably sell it before they figure out how they can actually do it. And, you know, when we got to, you know, uh, do Coachella for the first time and build a massive 
you know, the, the, the most famous, really the most famous music festival in the world and have the chance to be a part of that and build that you, um, you know, you, you have to figure it out really quick. And, um, and so what's the learning curve? The learning curve is always surround yourself with incredibly talented, good, dedicated people. Be willing to listen. Don't come into the room and act like, you know, everything, ask questions before you give answers. You know, though, though that the, the learning curve is don't think, you know, everything. That's the learning curve. I think when you're in your twenties, you want to, you, you're, you're, you're trying to maybe establish yourself. You're trying to tell everyone, you know, how much, you know, and really, you know, by the time you go down the road a little bit, you find the smartest people in the room are typically asking the best questions, not, you know, giving the, the, the best answers. So that's pretty, that was the learning curve for me. Learning curve is you, you don't know everything, surround yourself with an incredible team, and I think that that's really what began. That's really what started changing me. That's a huge venue. And you were talking about doing the Grand Prix, but where did you start? What kind of events were you doing when you first got into the business? Yeah, I mean, you 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 start somewhere. You know, one of the largest events that we built um, in 07 uh, was the Pride Parade in Long Beach, which, mm -hmm. uh, you know, every year that just seems that event gets bigger and bigger and um Again, you you just start somewhere, right? I what I would say is it it's really irrelevant, you know, where a business starts. It's like you just do a great job with what you have in front of you. You know, if you're a restaurant and you have five customers, well, do the best job in the world of those five customers. And if you just keep those same characteristics, you know, I always joke, my the I actually am working on it right now, my daughter's 16th birthday. Um it's one of my most favorite events ever to build. And it's funny, if I go back um, in time, it was always something that I just was really passionate about it. And no one can give you passion. You either have it or you don't. You either want it or, you know, no one can kind of bring that in. And so I look at um, how just things that I always like doing and touching and figuring it out uh, really helped create characteristics on on other things that I got a chance to do. You were telling telling me that between 07 and 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 12, 2012, that was kind of a rough go. Yeah. Was there a moment around that time where you're like, okay, I got momentum now, and I, I I'm I, I'm not saying that you figured it out, but you feel like, okay, I got this. This is my career. I I know that I can take this to the next level now. Yeah. So I don't know that I was able to articulate this in 12, but. I think a business is, for me has come down to three major categories. One is you evaluate a business off of an Excel spreadsheet a lot of times, right? Or something of, uh, you know, numeric fashion, budgets, uh, financial planning, cash flow, ARAP, um, cash position. All of these things are organized or, or should be organized in regards to, uh, I call Excel, the second thing I, I look at evaluating a business is, is vibe, culture, um, just what what is the organization? What's the feel when you walk in the front door? Are people happy? Are they engaged? Are they into your vision? Are they are they committed? Right? Because you could have a company that is performing financially well and have a terrible culture, and those two things those are going to collide. Those are going to become a problem. And the last one is, are you executing for your customer? 
Or is your customer saying, you're a great company, I want to work with you, I want to do a good job? Well, when you're coming out of a recession or all those things, from a spreadsheet standpoint, it, it didn't look great always, right? The numbers weren't what you wanted them to be. You wanted to be making more money, you wanted things to be better, and it just wasn't the case. But we built a vibe, a culture, a, a community that was solid and they were they were getting strong and they were fighting diversity. And we were executing really well for our customer, no matter what. Well, I thought that was great. That meant we had something that we could get better in. And uh, I just happened to find a mentor in that time that really mentored me in numbers. And I felt like once I started understanding the numbers, I had culture, I was delivering for my I felt like things really started clicking. And um, I can remember um, doing the Grand Prix for the first time. And it was such a moment. It was in my backyard. I dug it. You know, I, I, I'd been going there since I was five or six. And that was really a major momentum changer in our organization. What year did you do the Grand Prix for the first time? So I think that that was uh, 2015 mm. was our first major. That That's when I really felt uh that there was there was a real change in momentum in our organization obviously you're you're a leader in the community where did that come from was it is it just experience in the community talking with different people that that have catapulted you to a level where you're you're a leader in the community or where did that come from you know it, the pandemic um a lot of people have said a lot of nice things to me that in the pandemic it seemed like you had a voice and where did that come from? And and the only thing I could tell you, from for at least for me, is um, I think certain things prepare you for a moment in time, and um, you know, uh, you you have chances in life to stand up, and do you stand up? You have chances in life to help someone, do you help them? I I don't think people all of a sudden just do something out of nowhere. That you you probably see a lot of little things they're doing and. And there's probably people that have influenced you. I think my parents influenced me. I think I was around a lot of great people that influenced me. So when the pandemic happened, I felt like it was just unfair. I felt like small businesses were being targeted. I felt like reasonable conversations were being targeted. I just felt like I felt like there was just like an attack on on people that really wanted to thoughtfully go through something. And I, I just didn't understand that. I, it's not that I didn't believe in it or I didn't think it was serious. Obviously, I had to lay off 190 people. I understood the impacts of it. Um, but I and I and I felt like it started to get political and politicians were taking stances on health issues. And I was like, what is going on right now? And so I just felt like I always wanted it to, to be a solution. I wanted to do something good when things felt like they weren't. And, um, and again, that thing you'll hear me say over and over is starting somewhere. I just wanted to start somewhere. And so the pandemic gave me a chance to do that. Um, some people I'm sure liked what I was doing. I'm sure there's others that didn't, but I just was trying to, I was trying to be a solution. Uh, I know that, you know, you have your own podcast and you've interviewed other people, Susie Price, uh, Rex Richardson, and some others. Um, were you, did the local poli uh, politics come into involved because of the pandemic or were you involved in it heavily before that? Well, I, you know, I think it, 
have I always been involved? Probably at some level. I think politics fascinate me. What's what's so fascinating about politics is that the best person doesn't always win the job, right? That that that, that and and somebody could say that that's for business, but in business, that's a short run. In in business, a bad company might win for a little bit. Long term, I think it's very hard for a bad company to to win, especially in this environment where you can put it on Yelp or you put anything. What's crazy to me is a city or community can be going down, can be getting worse, higher crime, more homelessness, bad business, and political leaders keep getting better jobs and they keep getting elected. And 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 I don't see that in business, especially in a small business. Nobody around here is getting a promotion when they do a shitty job. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And um, and so po- politics in that way fascinate me. And I got to interview Susie. I got to re- interview Rex. And I got to watch a lot of different. I've been able to be around a lot of different people. And my whole thing is, is I want a politician to be accountable for what they say. We all know and we've. You know, they say you're not supposed to talk about religion or or politics around the table, but we talk about all the effects of those things around the table. We we sit around our table and we probably go, man, today I was in downtown Long Beach and there was this homeless person that made me sad. Well, whose problem is that? Is that our problem? Is that a put? No, it's it's everybody's problem. But we elect these officials who say they want these jobs to be a part of these kind of things. And so I think they should be accountable. I think they should be accountable for what they're doing in our, in our communities. Is that why you started your podcast or? Yeah. So I started the podcast. Um, I wanted to start having, you know, it's interesting. I wanted to test it. I wanted to see if I really, you know, liked it, you know? Um, And I wanted, um, I wanted to talk to people that I've, I wanted to hear what they said about certain things. I won't get into complete detail, but what I could tell you is this. The guys that helped me with the podcast after we met, after we interviewed Rex and Rick, uh, Rex and Susie, which by, by the way, we all know the election is it's next Tuesday. And I knew voter turnout was low. And I said, I'm just want to interview them both fairly. None of the guys working on the podcast knew either of these two people. I asked them their opinion at the end of it. I said, what did you guys think? They said, one of them, one of them really wants to win. One of them really wants. You could tell. You could feel the difference, and um, and so I think, I think podcasts are a long enough conversation that that you get a real feel of what is like what that person's really about. You know. Interesting. I, you don't have to say the name, but uh, you said one of them really wants to win. So what was the energy? What was the energy difference? The, ener- the energy was just you could feel it. You know, oh, okay. you could feel it. You could just feel this person would do anything they needed to do to win. It, it, it was very apparent. And, and, and when you say that, do you mean that in a good way or bad way? Like they'll do anything to win? Well, I think that people... Um, well, I think in our country, there's been people that, you know, that have won that you've questioned how they won or why they won or things like that. And I, I'm not here to question somebody's ethics. But what I'm telling you is that I think that there are people that that do things and they have a different level or motivation to win. And in this case, 
uh, you know, these other people that are listening and helping with the editing and really have no stake in the game. They're, they don't live in Long Beach. They are going, that person is, they're committed at a different level. Well, where do you see uh, Long Beach going? Um, you were you mentioned a little bit about there might possibly be in a recession. And I think, though, we did, I don't know what the technical term is, but I think that, isn't it two months or two quarters of, uh, negative GDP growth growth that we we actually went through that, and then the third quarter we actually had some, had had growth. But where do you see you know twenty twenty three looking like for Long Beach? Yeah, I think I think twenty twenty three is going to be a very interesting year. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess you could say that to anything that sounds so generic, but I think you have you had a lot of people that got a lot of cash during the pandemic from a business perspective. A lot of cash in the marketplace. A lot of people had money. They reduced other expenses in their own way, and so they're sitting. Their their house went up in price. You know, they they had some positive things. You know, inflation. You're at especially people that have assets, which wealthy people have a lot of assets. So wealthy people are probably looking and going, my stuff's worth a lot more, different things like that. But what I wonder in Long Beach is the hardworking person that maybe they rent. I don't know. Um, you know, their full financial picture. Is their life going to be better in 23? Like, and and so when we talk about wealth, what is wealth? Is wealth money? Is wealth walking down the street and feeling safe? Is wealth getting in the water and not seeing trash and not worried about what it does to your skin? What is wealth in our world? And I think uh, it's really easy to say wealth is having a nice house or car or watch or these different things. I personally don't view wealth like that right now. I want to feel safe. I want to feel good. I want to feel like I could walk somewhere and not have to think that something bad's going to happen. Uh, I don't want to think about a city of getting stabbed by running down a, the, I run that path all the time in the morning. Typically it's dark. And in my, when I ran it since that, all of that, I'm thinking differently. That makes me feel poor. Poor in what? Poor in safety. Poor in, um, you know, feeling good about a city that I love. So, um, I mean, I think it's great we follow the stock market, we follow housing, we follow housing. Why we we should follow safety, our own mental health. How could someone feel good? How could someone feel mentally healthy when you drive down the street and you look over and there's a person sleeping right next to you and you don't feel good about yourself? You feel shit. I should be helping them. I should be doing something. And so that's where I, I look again. I tie that back to politics. How do you stand up and smiley face and the suit and all this stuff? And tell me how great everything is. It's not great. It's not great. And so um, that's how I feel about 23. Well, as, as citizens of Long Beach, what can we do to improve those things? I mean, you, you mentioned homeless and, and crime, especially what can citizens do of Long Beach to improve those things? Well, the first thing they need to see themselves as a mayor. Everyone's a mayor. There isn't one mayor in Long Beach. There's, there has the chance to be over 400,000 mayors. And that's people taking charge and saying, this is my city, my place, it's my world. I'm not going to wait for an elected official to do something about it. Because if if we're being honest, They've let you. They've let the city down. You, you have a city council that I don't think you have one Republican. 
You don't have one independent. I think you have 100% Democrat run city council. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about a Democrat, but if you're all Democrats, like for instance, it, it, you know, if I'm on a board of directors and all of us agree in principle uh, with things, we can get a lot done, right? If you split a council and you put five Republicans and five Democrats, you would think there would be more conflict. Well, in a business, I want conflict. I want a variety of opinions. I want there to be people that challenge one another. So you would say, hey, city council, you could get anything passed. You could vote together. You could make anything happen. Why haven't you? Why haven't you created consensus and delivered for the residents of Long Beach around these major topics? It has, it has nothing to do with money. We spend so much money towards homelessness. The result is bad, 62% increase. You look at crime. You look at what we've done with the police department. All of them should be canned. And you, you they should be canned, not because they're bad people, but you, you didn't get the job done. And instead, you know what? They're going to get bonuses and raises and new positions and all this stuff. I think it's bullshit. I really do. I think it's bullshit. Now, I think a lot of them are trying, but they they, they, they didn't deliver Robert Garcia is a mayor. Nice guy. I know him. He's a very nice guy. But he didn't deliver for the city. He did not deliver uh, around major issues for our city. And that's how I feel about it. Do you think, uh, you know, everything's been going to the left and, and things haven't been going that great? Do you think they're going to swing the other way or or where do you think the, the city's going to go? I think if there's anything we've learned in our country that extremes don't work. The extreme right doesn't work. The extreme mm. left doesn't work. Both of them are very, very negative and divisive. Very negative and divisive. Again, I don't know where you stand politically and it, it really is irrelevant to me. I would say to this, anyone in a room, do we think, do we think homelessness, the unhoused is a serious issue? Let's stay in this room until we develop a set of solutions that we know are actually going to make a difference. Let's stand up for uh, this problem. Let's be real about it. Let's not make it political. Let's not do any of this. And I think when we start doing that as a city, as a country, we will clip away at issues. Extreme right. And by the way, what's crazy is we try to make all Republicans sound like they're for Trump. We try to make all Democrats look like that they're super progressive, you know, libs or whatever. And and I, I just don't, I don't buy that. Um, I don't buy that. I think there's, I think there's smart people that want to see something accomplished, but they're so turned off by the extreme. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, you have the pulse of the city. Where do you see the city going? I see people moving out of the city honestly. And not everyone can afford to do that. You know, so what you're going to be left with is you're going to be left with people. You're going to have people that are, they're going to put their attention and their energy other places. They're going to say, Hey, I, I can't change it. I'm up against too much. I mean, look at the outside money that's coming into this election. It's unbelievable. Why would, how, as a resident, would you want so much outside money to come in 
to a local election. Because we all know, everyone knows, if you're honest, that when somebody gives you money, no matter what, they are expecting something back in return at some point. Well, call a spade a spade. What do they want? Why are they giving you money? Why are they helping you get elected? You know, when I was talking about running, one of the things that I was, what is what I would run on is, I don't want a union support because I don't want to promise anybody, anybody, anything. I don't know if I'm running for mayor. I don't know that if I could deliver for uh, the firefighters union or the police union or the labor union. How could I make a promise as a candidate to deliver on to, for your union if I don't know what you want? And so uh, I, I, I don't want outside. I wouldn't want outside money. Actually, I would tell people I will not take outside money. So, did, so you were planning on running and you decided not to, or are you planning? On I looked at it. Years? I looked at it. It wasn't the right time. My kids, you know, are in high school. It just wasn't the right time. You know, I had people threaten me uh, if I ran, they sent bubble wrap to my house saying you better protect yourself. You know, they were, I viewed it as such a compliment that they would be, you know, intimidated by a non-politician that really just wanted to do some good in a city. But I, uh, I, I thought about it. I evaluated it. I told everyone that it would cost over uh, $1.3 million. I had people, you know, saying no way. And look at the numbers. They'll spend over a million and a half dollars on each individual candidate for mayor in Long Beach. I mean, think about it. That's crazy. You're spending. So let's just say you took between both the campaigns. I bet you by final numbers, they end up spending a total of let's just say three to $4 million uh, on, a, on a race that's probably going to get 100,000 votes, maybe. Mm. That's a lot of money to spend for on 100,000 votes. Give me a break, which tells me um, that you're basically having to buy votes. If you have to spend that much money to convince somebody to vote for you, you're paying for a vote. You brought up a point about, you know, being threatened. Do you feel like if you were to run, do you feel the safety of your kids being jeopardy or any of that nature? Well, I mean, if you look at where the some of these political hit pieces are going, I mean, absolutely. They're trying to hurt each other in their business or trying to hurt each other in their lives or trying to. I mean, we see this on a national level, like the amount of talk of Hunter Biden. Give me a like. Why do we talk about the candidate's kids? Just go after the candidate or whatever. But do I think we like to hit? We like to hit. We like to as a as a as a culture. We want to we want to pounce on people. Am I am I threatened by that? No, I'm turned on by it. I like it. Bring it on. Let's go. You want to like you want to fight? Like okay, let's 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 go there. I'm not going to fight with you that way. But if you want to be fair and you want to fight, let's 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 all let's all show we our cards, you know, and, and we can do that. You're extremely busy and doing a lot of different things with it in the community, with your business, with your family. How do you have balance with that? Because I know I see you with your, your kids a lot and I know that, that that's a big priority, but how do you balance that? Um, I, you know, I, I, the best part of life is kids. I think anyone would say that, that has kids, you know, it, you go through so many different seasons with your kids, but ultimately, the idea of 
helping to raise people to, to accomplish their goals is, is awesome. And so that drives a lot of your other factors. Why do you work hard? Why do you do that? You know, you do that for your family. You do that, you know, you do that because you want their lives to be better than the life you had. And you know, your parents did that. I'm so inspired by people that, I don't know, that just have that motivation. So I never view it as work. I view most everything I do as, as really purpose. And like I told you, my philosophy on wealth is not money. My philosophy on wealth is, is around substance and purpose and peace and so many different things. And there's, there's areas in my life that I want to improve. Um, and I don't think money is always the the driver to improve your life. I don't. A lot of people have money and they're not very happy. Um, there's a lot of people that have a lot of things that don't find substance. Um, now that said, I like nice things and I want to accomplish having nice things, but I want to have them um, with purpose, with meaning, with thought and um I, and, and the, and the other part, I don't want to do that alone, you know? And so you find people in life that you want to do that with. Um, and so that's kind of been the the driver, but I've never viewed it as, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted at the end of the day for work or based on work at the end of the day, I'm like, fuck, that was awesome. I want more. Let's, let's go get more. Well, what, what does the future hold for Ryan Cora? Well, you know, this uh, 22 was a rebuild for Cora events. Uh, you know, events started happening again. And so we were uh, really proud of the, or we're really proud of the year that we've been putting together. We've hired people back. We're building again. We had an incredible season of doing that, which was awesome. Um, during, uh, at, at the end of the pandemic, I started a creative agency called Dorothy. Dorothy um, has done incredible work, just finished its largest um, customer uh, or build for a customer. We did a seven city tour for Exxon Mobil, and that was awesome. And that's that's been a great uh, kickoff to a business. And um, I think right now in this next phase, um, you know, I uh, I really want to I really want to execute well around homeless. I want to do something for the unhoused. I want to say that I've studied it. I've I've spent the time and here's a solution. In 23, I like to look back and feel like I really made an impact in the in the unhoused. Um, I think I think I've I think I'm there on some things that that I think I could implement. I've done something, but I really think I could I could hit a I'd like to hit a really great ball in 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 23 there. In in the homeless in the in in limiting the homelessness in Long Beach. Just getting people off the streets, mm-hmm. getting people into homes, getting people into careers, getting people into mental health um, programs, getting people moving forward. I think a lot of it just if they just feel stuck, they've lost hope, they've lost motivation, and um, I just think that there's something I, I could do better there. Well, in in my estimation, especially in the homeless community, the the two biggest factors is one is mental health and two is, you know, substance abuse. Totally. And and those are tough things to, you know, solve. Yeah. Well, when you have a government creating more leeway in drugs while you're trying to change mental health, I mean, these things in some bases are, are contradictory. Now, what's hard about that is somebody said, well, I can handle a drug. If I can handle it, well, 
just because I can handle something doesn't mean someone else can handle it. And just because they can handle it doesn't mean I can handle it. And you look at food, right? You put anything in front of me with sugar, I'm going to eat it. And you put it in front of somebody else and they're more disciplined. Well, if we're a community and we care about each other, then I don't have to just think about myself. I have to think about how I take care of somebody else. And that's how I feel about drugs in our, in our communities. Just because I can handle it doesn't mean they, someone else can have just because they can handle it doesn't mean I can handle it. And when you, when you look at drug use and how that's leading to so many additional issues um, around mental health, we have to be honest as a, as a collective, as a community to say, how do we care about each other at, at, at a deeper level? And um, so I don't think that mental health is just mental health. A lot of times mental health is tied to drug addiction, drug abuse. And those are things that we need to look um, how as a community we can, we can help each other. That's a, that's a, a, a tough problem to, to tackle. And I'm, I'm glad that you're, that you're at the forefront of it because that's definitely something that needs to be addressed uh, completely because I've grown up in Long Beach and I've seen the changes of, of the homeless community grow in the last few years. And, you know, and it's sad. It's, it really yeah. is. And I, and I, I want to, as, as an individual, I want to help that situation be better. Well, what's crazy is if you talk to most people, most people are just like you, Paul, right? They're like, yeah, I love this place. It's been a great city for me to grow up in or start a business and whatever, and try to give back like what you're doing in, in your podcast. And yet you feel kind of helpless. Like you go, what do I even do? And if a, if a guy like you that is doing that, it, that is so much good going is helpless. Can you imagine what other people feel? Mm-hmm. And that that's just, there's something not right about that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's transition to a, a, a lighter subject. Yeah. Where do you like to go to eat in the city of Long Beach? <laughs> well, there's so many great places to go to eat um, in Long Beach, but a couple my, uh, um, Cafe Gazella is my favorite, right? Of Second Street. I love those guys. I loved helping them through the pandemic. They were really in a rough spot. And um, my daughter and I typically go there every Tuesday night. That's our little date night. I love that place. I love Nico's. I love what George um, does there and and the environment oh, there. I love, I love uh, Aroma Daroma. I almost take any meeting in Long Beach if I can at a coffee shop. I I love Roma de Roma and um, those would be my three. Those would be my three favorites. I, I am in desperate need of finding great barbecue in Long Beach. So if anyone has a, has a barbecue spot, I, I love a great barbecue. Have you tried the one it's called, I think it's called 10th corner on uh 10th. And I believe uh, I want to say, I want to say it's Redondo right in that area. No, but I will go there in the next 48 hours. That's how much I love barbecue. Wow. Um, so, so, uh, so let's make sure we, we circle back on that one. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll do, we'll do. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to lead our, leave our audience with? No, I think, you know, out of anything we talked about, um, I really like what you said, you know, really about yourself is, Hey, I, I love Long Beach. I'm trying to do something here. I'm trying to give back in my way, right? And everybody has a way. Everyone has a gift, uh, uh, something that they bring to the table and how to how do they give back. Somehow, 
those people need to become a collective of consensus. We can sit around and we can debate about the things we don't agree with, but I know that the majority of people want a safe city. They want a clean city. They want to see people uh, moving forward in their life, including the unhoused, including homelessness. And I just say, I, I really hope people spend more time on what what is what what can be done together versus you know what what potentially could divide us. Absolutely, Ryan. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thanks, you Paul. shared some great gems. I really appreciate it. Well, let's go to that barbecue place together. Let's do that. I'll, let's I'll, do I'll, it. I love like, it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. No problem. It's been a Long Beach thing. Thank you for tuning into It's a Long Beach Thing. Please tune in next time for another great episode. Thank you and have a good rest of your day.